Le'Veon Bell has some things to say Wednesday about HGH testing. We address the Jets running back's comments. We also preview their matchup with the Raiders as the Jets hope for three in a row. We also will be joined by former Jets offensive lineman Willie Colon. All that and more next on Gangs All Here with the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome to Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and Jets beat writer, Brian Costello. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cos. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my pal Mike Vaccaro from The Post joins me. Our special guest this week is former Jets offensive lineman turned radio host, Willie Colon. Let's get rolling. All right, well, another week and another social media incident with, with a Jets player. I'm getting kind of tired of uh, checking checking Twitter every day to see what Jets players are saying. Today uh, was Le'Veon Bell on, on Wednesday, weighed in on HGH testing and said he's been tested five times in 10 weeks and he's not going to do another test. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, the, the NFL and NFLPA have joint testing that they agreed to for HGH. The big issue for Le'Veon is needles. HGH testing is blood testing, unlike marijuana testing or PED testing, which uh, is a urine test. So these guys get stuck with needles. And Le'Veon was honest today. He said, I don't really like needles. So he blasted the blasted the policy on Twitter. And then he spoke to the media and said, uh, you know, if, if they come to him again, which they can, players can be tested six times in a season. Uh, he will not take the test, which then things get interesting because the NFL can suspend them if that happens. So, I think the Jets have to cross their fingers that, that they don't have to deal with that at some point. Then other news from the locker room on Wednesday, Jamal Adams spoke. He's got six sacks right now. The record for a DB is eight sacks. He said he will break that record. He said that today. And the way it's been going, it looks that way. I'm curious when they're not playing a rookie quarterback, how much he can blitz in Greg Williams' defense. I'm not sure that's going to work against Derek Carr the way it worked against Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones because the Jets are banged up at cornerback, as we know. They're playing Bless Austin right now. They're playing Arthur Mollette. Uh, Derek Carr might be able to pick on those guys. He should be able to pick on those guys more than the rookie quarterbacks have. Uh, also, I talked to Quinnen Williams for a while. The rookie, you know, he's had a quiet rookie season. And I think, you know, some people are looking at the number three overall pick. They expected him to have a greater impact. He only has one and a half sacks. I think he only had one assist on a tackle last week. No tackles the week before. You know, he he said he's not worried about the stats. He's really just trying to do his job and get better. Uh, it's tricky to evaluate defensive tackles. And by covering the Jets, about evaluating first-round defensive linemen on this team because they seem to take one every year. And sometimes they're asked to occupy blockers so other guys can make tackles. And that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. So, you know, we heard this for years with Leonard Williams. Uh, well, you guys don't understand the dirty work he does. Uh, times you heard it with Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to evaluate those guys. I just get it from a Jets fan perspective. This guy was a dominant force at Alabama. You take him number three, you expect him to have special traits and show those. Uh, and it hasn't really happened so far this season. He's got some season left and obviously you can't make a judgment off of 10 games. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future with Quinn and Williams, but I think the early results obviously are not what you were hoping for. All right, that's enough out of me. Let's get into this Jets Raiders game on Sunday. 
All right, now I'd like to welcome in Mike Vaccaro, the longtime New York Post columnist, my buddy, to talk about Jets Raiders this week. Uh, Vac, Vac was fortunate enough to be in Mexico and miss some of the, the recent Jets games. Uh, now he's back. Uh, Vac, I guess, you know, what do you make of the Jets coming off a two-game winning streak, and, and what do you think this game can mean for them, you know, facing an, an actual contender? Well, they electrified Cancun. They were the talk of the resort. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Actually, no, they weren't. Um, look, I mean, here's what you were saying all along, Brian, right? I mean, people wanted to rush to immediately judge and play, you know, judge and jury about Adam Gase. This is why you don't do that. Because clearly there's been signs of improvement, not only for the team, but most importantly for his most important relationship with the quarterback. I mean, the quarterback has played well the last two weeks. And that's, you know, for, for those with realistic expectations of the team, that's really what you wanted to see this year. I don't think, you know, other than a few holdouts, there anybody who, who really harbored any, any hopes of a, of a championship. They wanted to see progress. And look, I mean, it, it, it's slow progress, and you still want to have more than, than three wins. But, you know, right now, that's what you have, and that's what the Jets have been doing. And, I mean, I think you have to at least be optimistic to your Jets now. Yeah, and, you know, an interesting point I looked up the other day is, if you look at, I think eight teams hired new head coaches last year, and only one of them has a winning record right now. The Packers with Matt Lafleur, and obviously they have Aaron Rodgers, who might be one of the best quarterbacks to ever play football. So, you know, I think people want everything to happen quickly. And Sean McVay, this is Sean McVay, has kind of ruined things, I think, for coaches because uh, he came in and had such success immediately, and everyone saw that with a, with a young quarterback. But now, look. They've kind of backtracked a little bit with the Rams this year. So I, I think, you know, it's been important for Adam Gase and Sam Darnold to have this time together and the whole offense really to learn Adam's offense and, and sort of gel. Uh, I think too often we think teams come out of training camp and, and they've got it down. And especially with Sam's illness, I think it set them back. Um, you know, for me, this game with the Raiders, I think, is interesting because they've won the last two weeks – against bad teams with the Giants and Redskins. Now they they face a team that's actually a decent team. Do you do you think this is a good barometer to kind of see how, you know, how far along they are? I do because it's a good team that's traveling across the country, that's playing ten o'clock in the morning according to its body clock. You know, once you start realizing that you're expected to win, it's it's a little harder to win. And conversely for the Jets, I think that they still especially this game, there are still games the rest of the way that you say to yourself, well if they don't win, I just want to see certain things. Uh, and this might be one of those games, but if you play well enough, I think you could actually win the game. And if you do win the game, then you're, then you're talking about three wins in a row, and maybe you're really starting to talk about something with some real juice attached to it. Yeah, I mean, to me, if they can, they get this one, and then they get the Bengals and Dolphins, obviously, which are games you'd think they would win. You know, the way the Jets season has gone, you can't say they should win any game, I don't think, right now. But you know, if they could somehow put together a five-game winning streak, something they haven't done since 2015, entering that Thursday night game in Baltimore, uh, if they're at six and seven, I think if you're a Jets fan, you have to be pretty happy with that, with the way the season started and, and everything that's transpired. What uh, what have you thought of Sam Darnold these last few weeks, Vac? And have you kind of, I think some some Jets fans were losing a little faith there after the Patriots and Jaguars games, especially. Do you see signs that, that make you think, you know, he could be the guy that, that Jets fans are hoping for? Look, it's hard not to be concerned when he threw some of the picks he threw against the Patriots and against the Jaguars and that awful in the goal line against the Dolphins. And look, 
get fans in the memory see a quarterback wearing 14 and there's not a great history with that number in the quarterback Richard Todd uh, it's magic it, 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 it's a look I mean that, that's unfair you can't attest that to Sam but I understand why fans get the way they are because they're not rational when they're talking about things like the franchise quarterback they've been looking for for 50 years what I've seen is a guy who's still, who's still confident I mean that's the important thing I mean it was, a, it was a fair question to wonder if the Patriots had ruined them. It was a fair question to wonder if the Patriots game, backed up with that Jaguars game, hadn't wrecked them. And clearly it didn't, because you know, now you're talking about four straight games where he's led you know, touchdown drives on the, first, on the first drive, which, you know, when's the last time we saw that? Ever? Um, for any quarterback. Was that 19, 1972. 1972 was there the last go. time the Jets did that. And, 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 it's, and, and you know, so, so to see that and to see the way that he keeps bouncing back, and even the game in the game against Washington the other day, he had that terrible interception, and yet he came back and he still played a very good game after that. And yes, I know it's the Redskins, and I get it. You know that's a team they're going to get healthy against. But he's a guy playing what his 18th, 19th game. I mean, it's important to see every incremental step in the right direction, and that's what he's given you the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and you know, Jets fans might not want to hear this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they do. I, the guy that I think Sam reminds me of the most is Tony Romo, and Romo was not a guy who he's not Aaron Rodgers. Like he threw interceptions and he had some clunkers mixed in with some really good performances. And I think just watching Sam these first two years, I think that's what you're going to get from Sam is he's going to be a very good quarterback because Tony Romo is very good, but he's going to have interceptions. I think, I just think that's the way he is. He takes chances. He's kind of a guy that likes to throw on the run and that, that can lead to some turnover. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's always a part of his game is, is some of these bad turnovers. He's just got to make sure he throws more touchdowns than interceptions. You know, that's kind of the old Brett Favre rule. He threw a lot of terrible interceptions, but he made more touchdowns than, than anything else. Looking ahead to this game Sunday, Vac, um, what do you think, you know, what do you think the Jets' chances are of winning this and, and getting three in a row? I wouldn't pick them if I were a gambling man, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they won. I know it's the ultimate cop-out, so I apologize in advance for that. Um, but I, I do think, look, I, mean, I, I think if they win now, it's not going to have the – the bells and whistles attached to it that if they won this game two weeks ago, whatever. I don't think people are going to be stunned. I mean, it's going to be an upset, and it's going to be a good team losing to a, to, to a team that struggled. But it's a team at home, playing better, and as we said before, playing against the West Coast team with all those things the West Coast team doesn't deal with playing, you know, 1 o'clock on Sunday. So, to me, you know what? I am going to say they're going to win. I do think they're going to win the game. I think it's I, – I think it's – I think it's – I, I, I do. I, I believe in what I've seen from Sam, and I don't think he's going to play. He's not going to pitch a perfect game. And I don't think the Jets' defense is as good as it's looked during its peak time the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I could see something in a shootout, uh, you know, in the 31 27 range there, thereabouts. Um, and I hope so. And, and, you know, even if they lost the game 31 27, I think Jets fans would be fine with that. If, if, if Sam is responsible for all those points, You'd have to be happy about that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm thinking along the same lines there, uh, score-wise and everything. I think uh, it's interesting, you know, the Jets are number one in rushing defense, and they've, they've played well. But uh, this rookie from Alabama, Josh Jacobs, that's on Oakland, he's good. He's the fourth-leading rusher in the NFL right now. He is better right now than what Saquon is right now. And I, I say that knowing he has an ankle injury, and he's obviously he's better than a 34-year-old Adrian Peterson. So this is going to be a test for the Jets' defense, uh, and I think Derek Carr also 
a big step up for them from Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones. So I'm, I don't think you're going to have Jamal Adams blitzing off the corner every down against Derek Carr. So this is going to be an interesting test for the defense. And I think you're right. If the offense, you know, moves the ball well, Jets fans should be uh, pretty happy. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if your prediction comes true. I want to thank you for coming on Gangs All Here podcast, Zach, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Sounds good, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. Let's dive into the betting lines this week with a new segment, Brown's Best Bets, with our producer, Jake Brown. All right, all right, all right. The time has come, you degenerates. It's Brown's Best Bets around the NFL for Week 12. I'll give you my three best bets this week against the spread. So let's start betting. Matchup number one. I'm sorry, but why are the four and six Browns favored by 10.5 points against the Dolphins? Listen, I know the Dolphins are hot garbage, but what have the Browns shown us to be blowing anybody out right now? They just lost their top pass rusher, Miles Garrett, for the season after he sock and boppered Mason Rudolph with his helmet. Fitzmagic has kept the Dolphins relatively close in games. Miami is also 3-1 and one against the spread on the road, locking the Dolphins to lose the game but cover the 10.5-point spread. On to numero dos. I know the Broncos have been playing tight games the last few weeks with Brandon Allen at the helm, but I'm not taking him over the other Allen Sunday. Josh Allen will get the best of the two. The Bills' defense is going to have an early Thanksgiving feast on this inexperienced quarterback. They are four-point favorites at home, and they win this game by at least a touchdown in front of Bills Mafia. Jump through your kitchen table when you cash out this bet, and then use the money to buy a new one. I promise It'll be worth it. And finally, give me the Lions by three and a half on the road against the abysmal Redskins. Listen, Dwayne Haskins and that offensive line, the guy's pleading for help. That whole team has been nothing short of a disaster. They are beating nobody. Jeff Driscoll has actually been decent at keeping the Lions in games against better teams. He will get the job done and pick up a win against a tanking, god-awful Redskins squad. Lock the Lions in for a win by at least four points here. All right, it's my favorite part of the segment. It's parlay time. I'm coming off a three-parlay win week with two of them coming on Sunday. So your boy is scorching hot. Let me give you my three-team $25 parlay that'll cash you around $150. And if you're feeling really spicy before Thanksgiving, make it a $50 parlay to win $300. And then you can get Disney Plus subscriptions for your entire office, your family, or for holiday parties. All right, let's start with Broncos Bills. Give me over 38 in this game. Vegas is begging you. To bet the over, and I'm going to give it to their demand. Listen, Denver scored 23 last week, 24 the week before. The Bills dropped 37 last week. I can't see a situation where these teams don't get at least 39 points. Hammer that over. Part two of Z Parlay. I'll take a parlay for two under the table. Over, please. Inject over 45 and a half in my veins when the Colts go to Houston. When these teams played a month ago, it was a 30 to 23 game. The Colts are coming off their highest scoring game of the year, dropping 33, and the Texans are coming off their lowest. So that means meet those in the middle, and 46 points should be reached with ease here. And your final part of your three-team parlay, take the Steelers, minus 6.5 against the Bengals. Ryan Finley was only able to muster up 10 points last week against the Raiders. The Steelers' defense is going to make his life a nightmare in a game they badly need to stay alive in the wildcard race. Pittsburgh should win by at least a touchdown, as long as there's no missed extra point here, which has been the demise of many gamblers this year. So go get yourself a steak dinner and a bottle of bubbly, and send a bottle addressed to Jake Brown at the New York Post while you're at it. I'll take it. Good luck in Week 12, Degenerates. Go win some money. 
like to welcome in now Willie Cologne. Willie co-hosts the flagship morning show for the number one sports talk channel on Sirius XM, Barstool Breakfast. Catch him every weekday morning on Barstool Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 85 with Michael Large McCarthy. He also co-hosts the Barstool Sports Podcast, Surf and Turf. I know Willie from his playing days. Uh, he spent three years with the Jets. But prior to that, he was with the Steelers, won a Super Bowl there in 2008. Willie, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. You got a long list of uh, media titles there now. You're, you're, you're a member of the dark side officially, Willie. Yeah, that's what it looks like, man. Uh, it's not a bad gig. I appreciate it, though. I, I, I probably see things through you, you guys' eyes. <laughs> Willie was always a great guy to talk to in the locker room when he was with the Jets. I always appreciated your time. Um, Willie, when you look at these current Jets, uh, the offensive line has been a major story all year. Uh, what have you seen when, when you've watched them? And, um, you know, what do you make of their struggles that they've had this year? Um, it's tough because I, I was really optimistic uh, about this group in particular. Uh, I thought the pickup of Male, I, I, I always chop his name, Smale, right? From uh, the, the big guy from uh, the Raiders. Yeah, Simile. I apologize. Um, yeah, Simile. So I, I thought when we picked him up and got, was able to get Ryan Khalil, uh, you have Beecham and Winters, guys, Avery and Shell. You know, everybody has experience. So I, I really thought there was going to be this. Um, I really thought there was going to be kind of the, the strongest unit on the team. Um, the first couple of games, I saw guys trying to do the most, uh, and what I mean by that, pretty much playing, pretty much playing outside themselves, not really just doing their job and letting the game come to them and just being responsible for what they need to be responsible on the field. Uh, and then over time, you see guys who get nicked, which happens, you know, it's football. And so you see a couple of guys, veteran guys, go through injuries, uh, similar as you talked about, dealing with his shoulder, Ryan Khalil, and the Brian Winters in his shoulder. So, you know, they look like a ragtag group that was really going through it. Um, and so it was uh, It was troubling to see because I really felt like they were going to be the spearhead of this team. Um, but that's the NFL. You know, I, there's a lot of times I walked on the field and I thought we should have been the best unit on the field. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's just not your day or things aren't going away. There's lack of chemistry. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that play a part uh, to why this, this, in particular, this offensive line hasn't played well. But I also think, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, they, they, they're nicked. You know, it's hard to play through injuries when, you know, especially if they're not, you're not able to heal them or able to recover as fast as you used to as a young guy. So, um, but, you know, I have a lot of respect for those guys. I honestly do. Uh, I still talk to Beach and the winners and those guys. And I've always loved Ryan Khalil when his days at the Panthers. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy the way Shell has progressed. Uh, so it's, it's just it's tough because I know those guys want to be uh, the best they can out there. I know a lot of those guys fought through injuries, which is always tough because nobody knows your pain. Um, but, you know, they just haven't been able to kind of play up to the level uh, that this team needs them to play up. How tough is it, Willie, when there's no continuity on a line? You know, you, like you said, people are always nicked up. There's always injuries. But I can't remember seeing a group like this how this year they've had two guys at every position play at some point. And I think they're on their sixth or seventh different line combination. How tough is that when that group doesn't get any continuity together? It's really tough. It is. It is Cause you know, one thing I was extremely fortunate to have was uh, Nick Mangold. And I think playing next to Nick, uh, a lot of times our chemistry uh, was nonverbal comment, you know, communication, a lot of things he saw and I saw, just from our years in the league and been a, we've pretty much seen everything in the sun, you know, sometimes his, I knew what his grunts mean meant more than him actually speaking English. Uh, and that's just to your point is just playing chem, just the chemistry we had. 
I was able to kind of think how he processed things, and I was able to, he was able to kind of feed off how I processed things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just you need that time. You need the reps. You need the, you need the mistakes to happen on the practice field. You need the mistakes to happen to walk through. All that matters. So when you don't have that time, if a guy's out or a guy's pinged or, you know, you kind of have those gaps uh, within the, t- uh, the interior of the five, you know, it makes – it shows up on the field. Because uh, when you're when on Sunday, man, you don't have time, to, you know, to make all the calls. You don't have time to get it right all the time. You just – you have to play. You have to go. You have to be efficient. And, you know, and, and sometimes when you don't have those guys a full week of practice, the guys are missing out for – I know Beecher's dealing with an ankle. You don't have those guys to kind of really hone in and, and really kind of tighten up from a communication standpoint. Um, it makes things difficult. So um, – and that's things, you know, for the outsiders that don't know the game. You know, they just think the offensive line for the Jets is horrible. You know, there's a lot of things. Uh, offensive linemen aren't just horrible. Things happen. There's, there's, there's lapses. There's miscommunication. There's things that kind of play a part. So I, I sympathize with those guys. Um, and, you know, I think for me, looking at it from the outside, and, you know, they just gonna, they're going to have to get more quality depth and they're going to have to get younger uh, and get guys who they can really build this team on uh, and, and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, a big part of the problem, I think, has been not drafting linemen uh, for so long. I mean, Vlad Dukas is the last lineman they took in the first two rounds, and the last first-round lineman they took was Nick Mangold. So, it, you know, they've, they've kind of patchworked it through veterans like yourself. They, they signed, you know, who you gave them three good years, and Beecham has been a good signing, I think, for a few years. James Carpenter, guys like that, but they haven't really gotten the guy that could be here for 10 years uh, like they did with Nick and Brick, so – um, I, on Sam Darnold, what what are your thoughts on him? Do you do you think he looks like a, a future franchise quarterback? Is it too early to tell? What what have you thought of Darnold? No, I love Sam. I actually do. I think he has what it takes not only to play in this market. I think he has all the intangibles. Talk to some of those guys in the locker room; they really believe in him. Uh, they feel like he is somebody that they can have here. You talk about guys that can be here for the next ten years. They believe that in Sam. Um, and I think we also got to realize like, he, he's been through a lot. Nobody expected um, Sam Darnold to pop up with mono. You know, that's the last thing you worry about as a head coach going into a season, my quarterback having mono. Um, so you're talking about a new offensive line, uh, patchwork offensive line with Sam coming into his second year. Uh, it's it's tough. So, But I think Sam has handled it all well. I think uh, his optimism, his leadership, um, his, his grittiness is what you all need. And I think he, I think it's, listen, he has the arm talent. He has what it takes upstairs as far as the neck up. Uh, just has to be more productive. And I think we all seen last year, his rookie year, what he's able to do towards the back end of that season against that game in Buffalo. He kind of has that captain type moxie about him. So I like Sam. I really think he's going to be fine. They're going to have to get some more weapons and get the guys up front that can really give him some time so he can be more, uh, be more productive i'm curious willie we had we had rex on uh the podcast last week and we we're talking about 2013 and 14 and i i said to him this year kind of reminds me of 2014 somewhat of where the roster just has some major holes on it and rex of course said this this team is much more talented than the team he had in 2014 but like when i look at this team you know there's no edge rusher there's no cornerback of note um you know they have line issues like we talked about they don't have a number one wide receiver so I still think it's close, but you were on that 2014 team. And I remember, you know, we all saw it in training camp where 
there was a glaring hole at cornerback. And then I think even there were some injuries there and they, they were moving guys to cornerback. When, you, when you're on a team like that and, and, you know, you have to go out there and say, okay, you know, I think we're going to, I think we're going to win, you know, have a positive attitude. How difficult is that though? You know, you're not blind. You knew, you knew that team had deficiencies. Just, I'm curious, you know, looking back, how tough was that going into that year, knowing, you know, maybe they weren't the most talented team in the NFL? Well, I think I think it was tough because I think at that point, and I could be wrong, I think we were the second second youngest team in the league. Um, and so we had a lot of young guys who just didn't know how to play football or for that – or who were prepared to kind of go through that type of season. Type of season. Yeah, you could be – you can be deficient in a lot of areas, but if you have guys who are just flat out dogs and have this kind of dogmatic approach about the game, they take up on a lot of things. And sometimes you definitely overcome the lack of talent. We had a lot of guys who were just, you know, going to win, didn't know how to win. We were going through discipline issues. We were going through things, you know, underneath the hood that was really kind of setting us back. Um, and I know from my standpoint and me and Nick and Bridge's standpoint, uh, we just wanted to just keep pushing. We just wanted to keep pushing. We felt like we always. We had enough to get us to the fourth quarter at times, but we just didn't, couldn't finish the games. Um, and that and that hurt us at the end of the day. But we, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a mindset too, because I think a lot of times when, you know, I had Brandon Marshall on my podcast yesterday, and he, you know, he, we talked about uh, our year in 2015, you know, and he was, he, you know, he was kind of complimenting me about how I, how I was in the huddle. He said, Willie, you always thought you were going to win no matter what the score was. I was like, yeah, how can you not? You know what I mean? How can you not think you're always going to win? And like, I never I never paid. I remember we showed up in Baltimore. I think it was a Thursday night game. And maybe the game I got kicked out. Um, I think the first play of the game, Brady throws a bomb. And I remember going, picking up my helmet, walking right to the end of the, uh, walking down the sideline and getting ready to play. And I was, and, and I looked at Nick. I was like, we got him. We got him right where we need him. <laughs> and, and he looked at me like, what? They just scored. He, I was like, yeah. But now, you know, now the defense thinks they're up. They think they can, you know, they're going to have their way with us. Let's get after them. And so I've always had that kind of killer mentality. And I was kind of spoiled because that, every guy that I played with in Pittsburgh, they had the mentality. So coming to the Jets, a lot of these young guys didn't have the mentality. A lot of guys who had decorated careers and resumes necessarily didn't have that mentality. I remember talking to you about this, you know, the culture, like you had the culture of the Steelers where you got there, they were coming off a Super Bowl and they, they, you know, they, they just, the Steelers have a culture. There's certain teams that have a culture about them. The Patriots obviously have it now. I think the Ravens have it. The Giants had it and I think lost it, but the Jets have, it feels like they never have that. And that's one of the things when people were like, fire Adam Gase, fire Adam Gase. It's like, you got to let these guys kind of try to build their program. And we saw Todd tried to do it and he didn't quite get it done. Rex had it going. I mean, is it, is that tough uh, when when the team doesn't really have that built in uh, like like the Steelers did when you were there? Well, the Steelers, I mean, the, the foundation and culture of the Steelers is still current, right? How the success they had in the seventies, and it was, you know, they've only had three coaches in the history of the of the franchise, so they're used to winning. They're used to being uh, a part of something that's bigger than the team. I mean, so I've always said this. One thing I've been extremely blessed to be a part of or kind of in the conversation is when someone looks at a ball player, like, oh, yeah, he's a stealer. There's a mold. There's a characteristic that makes that guy a part of that team and a part of that history. Um, the Jets really don't have that. You know, when you look at a guy walking the door, 
outside of Dick Rick and, and Revis or a guy like David Harris, you can't really say what a jet looks like. Like people can't explain uh, what makes that guy a jet. And so that that's a loss. That's a lost culture. That's a lost foundation. That because they have a one of them, there's always there's always spurts of how you can you know pretty much hang your hat on what the Jets were able to do. They haven't. They just haven't been consistent. So. I think the fact they haven't drafted well, they've used free agents as band-aids. Um, there's always been this kind of this black cloud of the media that plagues the, the Jets locker room. And I felt like, I always felt that as a, as a player, like we we gave media too much credit. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like, listen, the media is always going to be the media. Like, I, they, like, damn what they say or how they go about their business. We still got to play football. You know, there was this whole, you know, who's the rat in the locker room? Who's this guy? And who's that? I'm just like, damn all that. Like, we're losing games. Like, like let's focus on playing football, getting it done, and protecting each other, and, and, and punching the bully in the mouth. That's all I really cared about. There was so much. I've never been a player. Even when Rex, when I was a Rex, and I love Rex to death. I never, you know, I remember him starting to, uh, starting to meet one time. And a well, couple of the first, couple of the first things out of his mouth was how to handle media. and Don't go talking to the media. And I'm just like, why were you even mentioning them? You know what I mean? Like they have no, they have no input on what we could be doing. You know, and and in Pittsburgh, we never talked about it. It was just kind of a common thing. Like, listen, don't don't put yourself out there. Respect your teammate. Don't write a check that your ass can't cash. And my, and then to keep everything behind the curtain and let's move on. It was it was it was talked briefly and we kept it going. Um, but when I got to the Jets, the media played such an impact in the locker room. Even amongst the guys, like we were like, man, who's this guy walking in locker room? Here's this guy, and I was just like, we got Baltimore this week. I was, I was just like, why is everybody? And I understand, you know, certain beat writers and people uh, have their way of, you know, doing their job and whatever. But I was, I just, it annoyed me how much power we gave the media, and I understand. And I'm living down, so I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of the fence. But I just, I wish we didn't give um, you guys so much credit. We need to start focused on ourselves. Because when you winning is the ultimate deodorant. So when you start winning ball games and the team's playing well, that's how you change the narrative. That's how you change the headlines. So I wanted us to be more focused on us and us as a culture and us as a locker room, uh, rather than you know kind of talking about the media. Yeah, well, they're still fighting that fight. I think you know. I mean, the guy. It's funny you name the guys, Nick Brick, Darrell, and David. They've been gone now for three years. All those guys, Brick, Brick, four years, but the other guys three years and. You know, that Jamal Adams looks like maybe he'll be a foundation piece going forward, Sam Darnold. But other than those two, there's not much. Um, my producer, Jake Brown, has, you know, he's a Hofstra grad, so he wanted to get one question in to you as a fellow Hofstra grad. So, Jake, take it away. What's up, Jake, baby? Willie, what up, man? Hofstra, we got we got no love, man. There's nothing for us. We got rid of our program after I went there in 2009. Do you kind of have a, a sense of pride coming out of Hofstra and being a Hofstra alum and – just being from the Bronx, too. Cardinal Hayes to Hofstra, and then finally you get a chance to play for the Jets. I mean, there's got to be that New York and Hofstra pride to you. Yeah, I, listen, man, me going to Hofstra, I, I've always repped Hofstra, uh, for Christ's sake. I was just at Marcus Colson's uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction down in New Orleans. Uh, he went into the, the ring of honor, the Hall of Fame runner uh, for the New Orleans Saints. For me, watching him put on that jacket really was like all of us putting on that jacket because – me, Mark, Stephen Bowen, Deval Ellis, uh, you know, on and on and on, Bobby Steck. You know, we really felt like we could really go compete against a lot of teams uh, that were either rated higher higher than us or in a different division. Like, we felt like we could have played 
we could have knuckled up with Rockers on Syracuse and shocked the world against some other teams because we, we feel like we're that talented. So for us to have the success that we had in the league, really spoke volumes about that uh, for that. So um, Hofstra is always going to be near and dear in my heart. Them lose, you know, us losing our program bothers every guy that ever wore a helmet. I mean, we still talk about it to this day. How, how we, what can we do, and how can we go about getting our program back? Because you know, I'm expecting my first child. Marcus has children. Bo has children. Uh, we all have kids now, and we don't have the luxury of, of taking our kids back to homecoming or showing what we did, what we were able to accomplish on the field or wearing the Hofstra jersey. So uh, we we want our program back 100%. And, you know, I thought one of the biggest hiccups we had, uh, especially being at Hofstra, was, you know, I worked our games on Friday night. I'm, nobody's going to watch football in New York on Saturday afternoon. We're not Alabama. We're not, we're not Georgia. We're not LSU. So we always felt like, man, they made our games on, on Friday while the student body was still on campus. And, you know, after you come to see a Hofstra game on a Friday night, you can walk over to Bogart's or Dizzy Lizard or wherever the hell other bars we used to party at uh, and kind of make it and then tail it off into the weekend. Uh, but they were never able to do that. And, you know, obviously, you know, the, the ultimate demise of the program, Hofstra just wasn't making enough money and we were uh, winning enough games. And uh, I think that's what really ended the program. Well, Willie, I'll tell you, Bogart's closed, Lizzie's closed, Nacho's closed. I think McKeeves is closed. They closed down every one of those joints, but I'll tell oh, you. Man. Yeah, I mean, there used to be the Penny Beers, and, you know, you may not have yeah. to bin 21 to get drinks there, uh, but they did uh, close them down. I'll say I'll say this to you. I know you host the Surf and Turf podcast. I will treat you to a Surf and Turf if you can get Hofstra football back because that is something that we are craving. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I will, whatever I can do, uh, Dan Gray, uh, his brother Antonio Graham played for the Browns and Chargers and uh, the Jets and finished with the Jets. I mean, there's so much history and legacy that that, that is pretty much on the shelf. Uh, I'll do whatever it takes. I know we've talked about it. It's, it's something that is it's a part of me and Marcus's goal uh, to get back in touch with the you know Hofstra community and the powers to be. I figure out a way, even if we got to go to D2 and kind of work our way back up, whatever it takes. Uh, but we want to we want we want Hofstra want a Hofstra football back. You can listen to Willie every morning on Barstool Breakfast on Sirius XM and follow him on Twitter at Will Cologne sixty six. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Willie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Let's look at the world of fantasy football in Week Twelve and who you should start and who to sit with our New York Post fantasy football writer Drew Loftus. Thanks, Cause. We're going to start with the Seahawks going to the land of cheesesteaks to visit the Eagles. Two guys you want to start in this game. One is Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett's dealing with a shin injury. He could be limited even if he plays. Metcalf's going to get extra snaps during the week in the preparation. Go ahead and start DK Metcalf. Also, start Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz, who has struggled a lot this season. Seahawks are allowing the opposing fantasy QBs to top the 20-point barrier in three of their past four games. The beat-up Lions travel to Washington to face the struggling Redskins team. Two guys you want to start. One is Lions quarterback Jeff Driscoll. He's averaging 22.5 points in two starts, filling in for Matthew Stafford, and this is his easiest matchup yet. Also start Redskins running back Darius Geist. The Lions are the worst in the league defending opponents in fantasy running backs, and the second-year RB outperformed Adrian Peterson last week and should get more touches this week. The surprising Raiders are headed east to face the Jets this week. Sit Darren Waller. If you've got an adequate alternative... At tight end, the Jets are the fifth stingiest defense against that position. They're better exploited elsewhere on the defense. Start Sam Darnold. The Raiders rank in the bottom third against opposing fantasy QBs. This is also a trap game spot where we could see some big points out of the Jets with a soft Oakland defense. 
The Jaguars are in Tennessee in an AFC South clash. Sit D.D. Westbrook. The return of Nick Foles didn't thrust him back into the fantasy radar the way some of us had hoped. And instead, D.J. Chark, Chris Conley, and Leonard Fournette all got more targets. Also sit Adam Humphreys. He's going to be facing cornerback D.J. Hayden, and that doesn't look favorably onto Humphreys. The Cowboys are in New England in a marquee showdown with the Patriots, fresh off their first loss of the season. Two players to sit in this game. Cowboys receiver Randall Cobb. Don't expect him to duplicate his big game from last week, especially facing Patriots cornerback Jonathan Jones. Also sit Patriots receiver Mohamed Sanu. He followed up his big Week 9 game with a dud last week, dealing with a tweaked ankle, and he's in a bad matchup against a solid Cowboys secondary. The Packers are in San Francisco for a battle of titans this week. Sit Aaron Rodgers. If you have a suitable backup, this is a week to use him. The 49ers have allowed just one QB to top 20 fantasy points all season. That's Kyler Murray, who did it twice. Start 49ers running back Matt Breida. Assuming he plays this week while dealing with an ankle injury, expect a healthy share of carries between he and Tevin Coleman against a poor Packers run defense. Monday, the surging Ravens face the struggling Rams. Start the Ravens' defense. The Ravens' defense has scored double-digit fantasy points in four games since the trade for Marcus Peters. Sit Rams tight end Gerald Everett. Baltimore's allowed just two tight ends to score TDs all season. Make sure to go to NewYorkPost.com for all of our fantasy football coverage. That's a wrap for Gangs All Here, our New York Jets football podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for putting together another stellar effort. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms for the best Jets content out there. You can find more Jets news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back Monday recapping the Jets game at home against the Raiders. See you next week.